interpreter as well to come up. Uh, Pastor Luis is a church planter that we support. Uh, he has planted a Hispanic speak, uh, Spanish-speaking church. They meet at the old Maple City Baptist Church. If you right over the 33, I uh, forget the name of that road there, but uh, they've been meeting there for a little while, and so we've asked him to come and just give an update. Thank you. Dios los bendiga. Una bendición estar aquí con ustedes. Iglesia enviadora. Uh, mi esposa María. Mi intérprete Rolando. Jesús dijo en Juan 4:35. Uh, Jesus Christ says in John 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 35. Jesus said, do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift out your eyes and look at the fields, for there are already white for the harvest. Representamos la Iglesia Bautista de la Ciudad. We represent the Baptist Church of the city. Su hija. Your daughter. En el año 2022, comenzamos Cuatro familias, ocho adultos y una niña. Back on the year of uh, 2022, we started and we were only four families on the member, four adults and one child. Uh, número dos, al 31 de diciembre del 2023, somos 21 familias y cuatro hermanos solos. Up to today, December 31st, 2023, we are now 21 families. And also four brothers alone, a total of, uh, of all the people, 78, 24 children, four child, uh, John youth, uh, and 48 adults. Sí. No todos se congregan, pero los atendemos en sus casas. No everybody goes to church, but we're still working on it. We're doing visits and everything. Células, estudios bíblicos en hogares. Eh, número tres. En el 2023, celebramos 14 decisiones por Cristo. 14 hermanos bajaron a las aguas del bautismo. In the year of 2023, we celebrate as a church 14 decisions for Christ to 14 brothers went down to the uh, waters of baptisms. Hay 51 personas involucradas en el discipulado en la iglesia y en grupos pequeños. We have 51 people involved in dealers uh, in discipline in the church and small groups. Número 5. 14 personas asistieron a talleres nacionales y estatales 
programados por la Convención Nacional Bautista del Sur. We did have 14 people attending a national and regional workshop planned by the First Baptist Church Convations. Se organizó y se puso en funcionamiento el número 6, el plan de células de estudio bíblico. Tenemos 6 en Elkar y 2 en Goshen. We also have the Bible study cells plan was planned, organized and put into operation, then operates eight of them. We got five in Elkar, two in Goshen, and one in Warsaw. Uh, one in Warsaw, correct. Contamos con un total de ocho células. Número siete, se dio la ofrenda misionera anual Annie Armstrong y la ofrenda misionera canadiense 400, de 450 que estamos pendientes por el aporte, pero ya está aprobada. Also, uh, the annual mission, uh, mission offering, Amni Armstrong, we given the annual mission offering in Canadian 450, we're still learning that it's still pending. We're still working on it. Número 8. Contamos con tres clases para niños en la escuela dominical y la enseñanza de los adultos. We also have uh, three classes for children in Sunday worship and also for adults teaching. La hermana Linda, junto con su familia y Kyle, creo que es así, Kyle, eh, continúan fieles con las clases de inglés. Sister Linda continues doing uh, English classes with her family and Kyle. Número 10. En la enseñanza a los creyentes para su desarrollo y su crecimiento se han tratado temas en la escuela dominical como cómo funciona la iglesia, disciplinas espirituales, discipulado, finanzas, sacerdocio para la familia. Uh, we teaching believers for their development and growth. These topics have been covered in Sunday worship, how the church works, spiritual disciplines, disciplineships, finances, and parenthood for the family. Número 11, en las finanzas para el año 2023, entraron 17,203.3 dólares. In our finances for the year 2023, we, we collect on uh, 17,203 with uh, three cents. A partir de enero de este año, tenemos un nuevo tesorero. Para la iglesia. At the beginning of this year, we established a new treasury. Número 12, el reto de este nuevo año es organizarnos ante el Estado como iglesia, nombrar el cuerpo de ancianos y el resto de los líderes de la iglesia. The new challenge for uh, this year is to, uh, to organize ourselves as a church for the state. Ajá, la reunión de hombres para estudiar el tema cómo pastorear el corazón de tus hijos. Uh, men's meeting to study how to uh, shepherd your son's heart. Y ya somos iglesia enviadora. Estamos, tenemos una familia misionera en la familia Rabinovics. Eh, en Noblesville, creo que se pronuncia así, en Indianapolis. And we also have the new goal of being sending church for the Romanich family to uh, Noblesville, Indianapolis. It's a new church we got down sí. there. 
ya tiene una asistencia entre 25 y 30 personas. They have approximately between 20, 25 to 30 people right now. Nuestro agradecimiento al Pastor Ben y a ustedes como Iglesia Enviadora por su apoyo. To our announcement, we give thanks to Pastor Ben Hurt and to, uh, and to you to send us our church as a mother family. A la familia Muller. And Muller family too. Linda, sus hijas, Linda, su esposo. Daughter, husband for a Kyle for su apoyo incondicional. Apoyo incondicional. Mm -hmm. For the sport. <laughs> Al Señor por su gracia que nos ha sostenido y nos sigue sosteniendo. For the Lord of the grace, of his grace that sustained us. Motivos de oración. Que el Señor levante líderes que lo amen a él que amen a su familia y que amen la obra. And reason for prayers, may the Lord rise up leaders who love him and love their family and the work, believers. Creyentes con pasión evangelística y misionera. We believe with evangelistics and missionary passions. Y para que las parejas que nos llegan, que están en concubinato, puedan ordenar sus vidas. And for the marriages of cooperating uh, uh, couples which are reaching us so they can legalize their marriages. Son ocho familias en total. We got eight families they're living together but they're not married. Y a Dios por su gracia and may God by his grace porque en nuestra vejez 68 años that he got 68 years old <laughs> nos da fuerzas como la del búfalo like <laughs> y nos hace fructificar como la palmera del Líbano thank you que Dios los bendiga God bless thank you all and bless you all <laughs> so th this is not a surprise anymore but I waited until this morning to share with them the gift of $7,000 that you as a church, we as a church, were able to give and, and very blessed by it. It was a sweet response. And so be praying for Church of the City, that they would reach the, the population that we can't reach here. By, but by God's grace, we are partnering with them. Uh, he's got to head out because they have church that starts at 11 a.m. So if you have any Spanish-speaking people that you know of who are looking for a Spanish-speaking church. They meet across the road, uh, 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. So let me just pray for you now and pray for the church. Father, thank you so much for your grace and mercy. Thank you for calling Pastor Luis to do this hard work. We pray that you would continue to sustain he and his family, Lord, that you would provide their needs that they have. I pray uh, that these men in the church would stand up and take leadership roles. So give Pastor Luis uh, wisdom and how to do that. I pray for these people who are living together, whom they're calling into marriage, God, that you would grant them grace, that you would bring conviction that leads to change and ultimately joy in Christ alone. God, thank you for what they are doing. We ask for your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we thank Pastor Luis again? One more time. Thank you, brother. Thank you.
Uh, what, a, what a joy, guys, to be able to, to, be able to tell them uh, that gift that we gave them. Thank you for supporting them. We, not only did we support them in that big way, we support them monthly as a church, but also uh, some of you actually give above and beyond your giving to our church to help support them. So keep praying, keep supporting. Uh, they are in the process, he mentioned if you didn't catch it, in the process of, be, of becoming kind of an organized church where they get all their articles and bylaws into place. And so they'll be launching into a different kind of phase for their church uh, in the coming, in this year. So exciting things. Thank you for supporting them. Thank you for uh, being able to bless them the way that we did financially, because that's a huge thing. $7,000 for them is a massive, massive blessing uh, to further the discipleship there. So thank you. Well, let me now invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. I'm just going to throw the, the title up there right now. You can see it. Elder Leadership and the Call to Humility. I think I forgot to even share that um, at the first service. But uh, here's a quote for you to, to ponder this morning. It's this. Everything rises and falls on leadership. It's a quote that was made famous by John Maxwell. I mean, that is a massive statement. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Do you think that's true? Does every success and every failure fall back on leadership? Now, whether or not you believe that statement to be accurate, I think we'd all agree that leadership is absolutely critical in our world. In the business, you need strong leaders. In our country, we need strong leaders. In the home, we need strong leaders. And in the church, certainly, that is the case as well. And nothing can sink a church quicker than poor leadership. For too many horror stories of elder boards and pastors who have gone sideways and put their churches six feet under because of their lack of care and how they handle the flock God entrusted to them. Well, this morning we are turning our attention to the role of elders in the church. How are we to lead as exiles in a world where suffering is the call for all believers? Peter also addresses the rest of the church and how they are to respond to that leadership as exiles. And then he wraps up this portion of scripture by laying out how we all collectively are to live together. So let's jump into 1 Peter 5. Let, uh, follow with me as I read, starting in verse 1. So I, exult, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercies this morning. Lord, I thank you for being our firm foundation, a solid rock. Lord, we are secure in you. You are a mighty fortress. You never fail your people. Lord, would you open our eyes now and our hearts that we would perceive what you have for us in your word as we ponder leadership as exiles, as we think about what that means for the congregants of the church and how they respond to leadership, and then, Lord, the call to humility amongst us all. Lord, many a church has closed their doors because of the failures of leadership, the lack of humility, and so, Lord, would you be a very present help this morning in time of need, that you would expose us where we need to be exposed, that you convict us, that you would encourage us, that ultimately, Lord, you would allow us to thrive as a kingdom-building church, Lord, for your glory alone. God, we desperately need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 1 starts with the word, so. Uh, you could very easily have put the word, therefore. It's, it's pointing back. And so before we jump into chapter 5, let us just be reminded of what was said previously to give us a context of chapter 5. Last week we looked at verses 12 through 19 in chapter 4. This is the, the pinnacle. It's the climax of Peter's discussion about the expectation that every believer will suffer for following Jesus. That's why he says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. As though something strange were happening. This is something as believers we should, we should know. Rather, instead of finding it strange, instead of being surprised, we should rejoice. Because when we suffer for following Jesus, we are partaking in the sufferings that Jesus experienced for doing good. And when you're insulted for the name of Christ, Peter wants to remind us that we are blessed in those moments. The Spirit of God rests upon us. He does not allow those trials to be wasted. He is with us in those moments. He calls for us not to be ashamed for being insulted. Rather, let it be an opportunity for you to glorify God through it. This call to suffer well for doing good is not an easy task. In fact, it's very sobering to think about. So how can we keep from being surprised by suffering for doing good? What, what can keep us from being ashamed by insults? And we read this in verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We can do all those things. We can suffer well because our soul ultimately is in the hands of God. So why is it so vital to keep these verses in mind when it comes to chapter 5? Well, I think it's because we all need to understand that suffering in this world is hard. Suffering brings us low and it helps us to understand that we're all in a battle. 
We're all dealing with different kind of struggles. And elders should be heightened to this reality so that we are well prepared to love the people under our care. There's nothing worse than a leader who is unwilling to step into the life of the congregation, to the, of the people, to get an understanding of why they find themselves where they're at. And if we just look at the fruit and refuse to get to the heart and understand why the fruit is there, we will unaffectively care for the body. We need to understand we're all in a struggle. The congregation needs to understand the elders are in a battle as well. And none of this should surprise us. Notice verse, verse Peter, in verse 1, Peter exhorts the elders. Now this word exhort, it's, it's not a command. He isn't bringing them some kind of stern warning. After all, later on, he, he calls for them not to serve out of compulsion. So if it was a command, they would have no choice. Rather, to exhort means to ask for earnestly. It means to beg, it means to plead, to appeal, or urge to do something. Notice while he is addressing the elders, he does so publicly. The rest of the church would be listening in on this conversation, on this letter that Peter wrote, being read. In this, there is a level of accountability for the people of the church to be sure the elders are fulfilling the tasks that God has called them to. So, church, if you were to see one of the elders who was in sin, it would be your responsibility, as well as other elders, it would be your responsibility to call that out, to confront in love. So he's not pulling the elders aside and giving them a separate message without the people to hear. You know as well what the elders are called to. Notice Peter himself calls him, uh, is called an elder. And so because he is an elder, it's why he's not commanding, but rather exhorting. Elders are not to dominate over the body. Then in verse 2, uh, Peter lays out the role of the elder, and, and here's what it is, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So here's the role of an elder, very simply put. Shepherd and exercise oversight over God's flock among you. This is the call of elders. Elders then are leaders. They're the main spiritual leaders, caretakers of the church. They're the, the highest of authority above, before, besides Christ in the church. At Gospel Community, uh, we have three elders. Aaron Scholl, Mark Jones, and myself. We are called to shepherd and give oversight. Notice, though, whose flock is it? It's God's flock. You don't belong to me. You don't belong to the elder team. This is God's flock of which he has entrusted to us to care over. We don't get ownership over you. We don't, that, that is something that I'm very conscious of. This is the flock that God has entrusted me, but it's not my flock per se. Ultimately, you are God's flock. And here's why I think that's significant. I mean, first of all, we see in verse 4, there is a chief shepherd there is one who are over the under-shepherds. We are under the chief shepherd. And why I find that significant is that the elders were not the ones who paid for your sin. It was the precious blood of Jesus who covered over your sin. And as elders, 
We are to care for you in his name. As elders, we should not approach this lightly. We are caring for the king's kids, and we are one of those kids. That brings a whole new sobriety to this calling. You belong to the chief shepherd who gave his life for you. So what does it mean to shepherd? Now, we don't have shepherds hanging out in the, I mean, there's plenty of pastures around, right? But you don't go out there seeing shepherds with staff leading the sheep aside, uh, telling them where to go. But I think we can all understand generally the role of a shepherd, of what a shepherd does. A shepherd is someone who provides protection over the flock. He's looking out for the sheep, attending to any issues that may come up. If there's a hole in the fence where that sheep might escape or where the enemy may come in, they're going to make sure they take care of that and fix the fence. If a wolf enters into the pasture, that shepherd, the good shepherd, will go after it. A shepherd makes sure the sheep are well fed. So if they're in a place where the valley has dried up, there's no water, they're going to lead them to new, greener pastures so they can feed. After all, what is the greatest asset of a shepherd? It's the sheep. You are the greatest gift of the church. It's why we carefully proclaim God's word. We don't just do it flippantly. We don't do topical sermons where we take a verse and then take it out of context. God's word is what you need. You don't need to hear what I have to say. You need to hear what God has to say through his man, whoever that may be. It's why we guard the material that we use in small groups, in men's ministry, and women's ministry. We want you to be spiritually fed well. Elders are to shepherd. Elders are to exercise oversight. This, of course, is tied into shepherding. Elders are to watch over the flock. We should be involved in your lives. This means going after you if we haven't seen you for a while. We seek after you. We want to care for you, make sure everything's okay. If we haven't seen you for a while, you might receive a text, a card, a phone call, an email. Now, for some people, this has offended them. I, I remember when I was at Gospel City, so nobody from here, uh, ha I, we hadn't seen them for a while. They didn't fill out the register, and so we were just checking in to make sure, hey, are you okay? And this guy kind of reamed me for just reaching out. Like, how dare you care for me? How dare you ask what they're doing? They took it as offensive as if I was calling them out for not being at church when simply it was just, hey, is everything okay? On the flip side, I, we had another uh, older man and, and woman who hadn't been to church for a while. We reached out uh, only to find out that the woman was in, had some serious health issues, that they weren't involved in a small group, so they weren't really connected, but we were able to find this out and able to care for them then and provide the care that they needed a shepherd has oversight. A shepherd does this. So if that ever happens to you, don't, be, don't take that personal. This is a responsibility that we have to love you, to care for you, to have oversight. As elders, we will give an account. So primary role of an elder, shepherd, provide, exercise, oversight. Now, important thing here that Peter lays out for elders is that the manner in which elders do their eldering, it matters. It's vital that you do it appropriately. There's a way that we should approach leading the church. Look at the second part of verse two. 
not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So there's kind of three, don't do this, rather do this. Here's the first thing about an elder's manner. Don't serve out of obligation, but willingly. Don't serve out of obligation. Don't serve out of being compelled to do so. Do it willingly. This goes back to how Peter addressed the elders. He urged them. He encouraged them, but he didn't command them. Elders should not be guilted into serving. It's not something that we should look at in drudgery just because there is a need. That doesn't mean that you have to fill it. We're in the process of praying through, okay, Lord, who would be our next elders? This is not something where we're looking for people to raise hands and then we just announce them next week. It's a long process and whoever would step into that role must do so not because they see a need, not just because we asked you and you felt compelled to do it. You're doing so willingly. Yes, I want to do this. This is what God is calling me to do. You know, there, there are plenty of things and plenty of ways that we can serve and do so out of obligation, which I think are totally fine. Uh, last week, we had a prayer gathering, and we took down a bunch of chairs after the service. And some of you maybe didn't really want to do that. I don't know anybody who's just like, yes, please sign me up for the chair stacking. But out of obligation, you did it one time. It was not a long commitment. You're doing it. Now, is that faithful service? Absolutely. I think there are plenty of, things, plenty of ways that we serve out of obligation. When I was a uh, pastor at Gospel City, uh, you know, there'd be some services that would be pretty full, and we'd have to make sure we get people seated properly. And so they had asked me uh, to be an, be, basically be an usher for a while. And uh, very quickly I realized this is not something I like doing. <laughs> uh, because... the when you're sitting people in the chair, the goal is to sit them down and get the next person seated down. So you can't be standing up in the, in the aisle having conversations with people, but I'm thinking, hey, how, how does that surgery go for your mom? Or how are things going for you with whatever they may have shared at a prayer request? And I'm wanting to have a conversation. Meanwhile, people are getting backed up, and the church is going to start late because I didn't do my job sitting. So very quickly, I got fired from being an usher. I served that role out of obligation. It wasn't something I felt willing to do, but I did it because it was part of my job at the moment. We can do a lot of things out of obligation, but listen, if we do things and commit to something long-term, like eldership out of obligation, it will become a burden and we will burn out. Eldering is not a position that you can serve effectively in out of compulsion. It's hard work. It's not for the faint of heart. You people are messy. You can laugh at that. It's okay. It's a joke, all right? Well, not a joke. But we're messy as elders. And when you put a mess with a mess, what do you get? A bigger mess sometimes. We're messy. It's hard work. One, one re main reason why we planted this church was because we had so many people traveling from this area to Granger. And if I would have stepped into that role because I felt obligated, hey, there's this need, somebody's got to do it, fine, I'll do it. If that would have been my heart, if I would have done it begrudgingly, or not begrudgingly, but like if I would have done it out of obligation, guys, I would have, I would have 
quit a long time ago. But I did so willingly. This is what God had called me to, and so I serve willingly, not out of obligation. Here's another elder's manner that we see. Don't serve out of greed, but eagerly. Don't serve out of greed, but eagerly. It says at the end of verse 2, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I mean, listen, first of all, right off the bat, nobody becomes a pastor because of the money is so good. <laughs> I'm taken care of. I have what I need. But it's not like I'm racking in the dough, driving my Mercedes and all those kind of things. Like it's, people don't step into it to make money. So I don't think greed uh, necessarily is why people get into ministry. But here's why people want to become elders is because they want the power. They want control. They want the title to their name so that they could flex their ministry muscles. For some people, in, in their eyes, they, knew, they know what it takes to run a church and believe that they are God's gift to it. And if that's your heart and if that will set you up for failure, and Peter's like, don't do so out of greed. Don't do so because you are power hungry. I have encountered men who put their name forward and flaunt their resume to be an elder now, I'm not saying you, it's, it's ever wrong to say I'm willing to serve in that way, but I think we have to be careful, and I'm leery of those who want to tell me how awesome they are to serve as elders. I remember when we went to Aaron to talk to him about becoming an elder. Now, if you know him, Aaron's a, a doer. He's, he's got a strong personality, and he gets things done, like, very well. But when we approached him about elder, this is not like, yeah, I mean, look at my resume. It's clear I should be the guy. He was like, took a deep breath, like, Let me, I, I got to pray about this. I need to talk to my wife. We, we need to pray to see if this is what God has for us. And then even in accepting the responsibility, there was a deep humbleness in the reality that this is a serious role. This is not something that you jump into lightly just because you are asked. And there was... There was a little bit of back and forth. I think that's how it should be. This is, a, this is a massive task that, frankly, we are unworthy of apart from God's grace working through us and his spirit. So if you have to be coerced into becoming an elder, if the stakes need to be raised to get you to join the team, beware. Elders should not serve out of greed, but they should do so eagerly. They should be ready to serve. They're Aaron was cautious but still eager. Yes, if this is what the Lord wants, I'm all in. Elders serve out of the joy in serving the Lord alone. Here's the last elder's manner. Don't be bossy, but be an example. Don't be bossy, but be an example. Verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Don't be bossy, elders. Rather, be an example. It is a sobering thing to be an elder of a church when you have the right perspective, when you understand what that entails. It's sobering. Now, listen, I, I don't believe that as elders, we are just a bunch of bozos who screw up all the time, who have no idea what they're doing. There's a reason why we are elders here. 
There's evidence of God's grace in our lives. We reflect Christ in the way that we live our lives. But listen, this doesn't mean that we are perfect or have it all together. Far be it. Just ask our wives. You'll find out. Still, there's a faithfulness there. We are not perfect people. We need God's mercy like everyone else does. We didn't come to the cross to step up above everybody else. And yet for some elders, they forget that. They think they need to lord it over the people and to demand things from them. But Peter has something different to say. Did you notice how Peter introduced himself in verse 1? So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. This week as I pondered that, I've shared this throughout this thing, but just what was it like for Peter? I mean, Peter physically, we walk with Jesus in spirit. Peter physically walked with him. He was there at the trial when three times he was asked, aren't you one of them? Aren't you one of his people? Three times he denied him. And then he saw Jesus suffer on the cross for his sin that he had just committed. So Peter's like, listen, I observed the elder of all elders. I walked with him. He did not domineer it over us. Instead, he made himself example by dying on the cross for our sins. So if Jesus wasn't domineering, how much more so should we not be domineering? How about you? That's a sobering thought. This is why it is so damning for elders who lead out of arrogance and pride. And then think on these words of Peter for a minute. Instead of being domineering, he says, be examples. Set the example. So what exactly does this mean? Examples of what? Does it mean like good character in your life? Surely that's what it means as part of it. Does it mean like you, you set the standard of what it looks like to be a parent? I, I think there's a part of that too. But consider also the context of which First Peter was written. It was given to who? Exiles. Exiles who were suffering because of being exiles. And they were called to suffer well. Don't be surprised. Rather rejoice. If you're insulted, you're blessed. So this is, this is a call to be an example of what it looks like to suffer well. And here's what I have, I've come to learn. And I, I'm not trying to lift me up, lift our elders up in any way, but the more you step up into leadership in the church, the more you become the target of the enemy. Listen, how can you make it, who do you go after if you want the church to fall the quickest? You go after the leaders. You get the shepherd, the shepherd screws up, oftentimes the people scatter. And I've heard people, and I, and I believe in the sovereignty of God, I believe in his grace, I believe in his salvation, salvific work, those whom he chooses, he will save. 
But I certainly don't want to be responsible for sheep drifting because of my sinfulness. And, I, and, I, and we have seen this as a family. There are, there are some Saturdays where it feels like nothing is going right. Why are my kids out of control? Why do bad things have to happen on Saturday? And then I remember what tomorrow is. Oh, Sunday. Oh, yes, and I'm preaching this message. <laughs> this is why it's happening. Lord, remind me of that. Remind me of the battle. I'm not saying every Saturday is that way, but what I do know is that there is a target on the back of the leadership. Is, is Satan worried about the guy who comes in after the service starts and leaves before it, before it ends and has no interaction and doesn't share his life at all? Do you think Satan's concerned about getting them to, to destroy the church? He's going to go after the leadership. And as we as elders need to be prepared for the battle. The call to eldership is not a call to eat, drink, and be merry. It is a call to exposure. All eyes are on the elders. Our kids are watched more closely. And there's a certain reason why I think that's legit. We're, we, are, we are judged by what we say. And again, you are responsible to make sure if we get out of hand that you address that. This is what scripture says about leadership. James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. There's a heaviness. This is why the elder process is not, hey, you want to be an elder? Okay, you're in. We're going to vote next week. That's not how it works. It's a long process of like, what's your theology? What does your family look like? What is your, how is your marriage? How is your parenting? What do other people say about you? 1 Timothy 3.1 says this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. What, what he is wanting is something that is far beyond anything that we can do in our own flesh. It can only be done by those who are walking in the spirit daily. And because of that, there is more suffering. So let me encourage you, pray for your pastors and elders. Aaron mentioned today, we have a big, huge thing that we're excited about Tuesday where we're gathering as elders and pastors and just praying through the vision of our church. God, what do you have for us in this next season? We're pumped. We're excited. But there's also, if I'm honest, there's a lot of sobriety and maybe even fear because we understand the task. We need God's mercy. We need God's grace to pray. Pray for the families. Don't just pray for the elders. Pray for the families. Often, my wife is the one who had to suffer this morning. She's not here because we got sick kids. If there are sick kids, guess who's staying home? It's Nikki every time. If you have sick kids, you're able to switch off. She's got to attend to that every Sunday. I'm here up at 5.30 in the morning. I'm here at 7.30. Nikki's getting kids ready every single Sunday morning. Pray for her. Pray for the otherwise, for Stacy. Pray for Jessica. Pray for their kids. Now listen, this is, not a, this is not a call. You shouldn't feel sorry for us. <laughs> This is not a pity call. Look, verse 4 has great promises for us. This is our rest in. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I know that it's by God's grace we serve faithfully. There's reward. Our suffering is temporary, but glory is forever. God's glory. 
Remember, we talked about that last week. You will either choose suffering now in glory for eternity, or you will choose glory now, your own glory, and you will suffer for an eternity. This is a pattern that we see all throughout. Let me just read a couple scriptures. Verse 6, chapter 1, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You've suffered so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God's going to be glorified through our suffering well, through our leadership as elders, as we do so faithfully. 1 Peter 4.13, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also be rejoiced and be glad when his glory is revealed. Verse 1 of chapter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. I don't count these afflictions, these momentary afflictions as something worth comparing to the eternal weight of glory that waits us. So don't feel sorry for us, but pray for us. Our Savior warned us of this. Matthew 5, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account who gets more criticism in any kind of business is it not the leadership blessed are you rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. i think of some of the prophets what, what did they call jeremiah he was the what prophet you remember he was the weeping prophet he barely he didn't see any fruit he's going to all the people exposing them and hardly seeing any fruit at all Blessed are you. Don't feel sorry for us, but pray that we stay faithful to the end. This is no small task. Pray for unity. We want to grow the team. So if you know of men who display the characters of, a, of an elder, please share that with us as we pray and seek God's next men to join our team. Pray that God is clear. Pray that we see him clearly, that we're not looking for any kind of selfish game for ourselves. Elders are called to shepherd, exercising oversight. God has given them, not of obligation, but willingly, not out of greed, but eagerly, not domineering, but being an example. That's the exhortation for church leaders. So what about the rest of the flock, the majority of you here today by far? What is your role? We see that in verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elder. Here's the church's role. Be subject to the elders. Put yourself under the elders. Submit to the elders. Now, there's, there's debate here on who the younger mean. Is, is this referring literally to, like, age-wise, like the younger believers Hey, you need to make sure you're subject to elders. Or is it speaking to everyone else, like those who are uh, spiritual youngsters? I mean, you think about, from a physical standpoint, who needs to be reminded the most about the need to submit to authority? It's the youngers, right? Like, but we don't know that. We don't really know by clarity. But here's what we do know. Regardless of where you stand in that, God calls all people to submit to the elders. And in the same vein, there's this sense of submission from the elders to the church. If we're off base, it's your responsibility to call us out. 
humbly so. We'll get to that. But there is this call to submit. This is what God calls you to do. If the elders are not in sin and calling you to participate in sin, you are called to be subject. Listen, it may mean at times we make decisions that you would prefer be different. But because of what God has called you to do, you are putting yourself under the elders. Because really, ultimately, who are you putting yourselves under? God. Verse 19 of chapter 4, you are entrusting your souls to the faithful creator. We're not always going to make decisions that you prefer. But if we are in sin, I urge you, humble yourself. Put yourself under the elders. And that really leads to the last section here. Verse 5, second half to, through verse 7. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud. That means he's against the proud. But gives grace to the humble. How many this morning want to receive God's grace? He said, if you're arrogant, don't expect God's grace to be close by. And if he leads you to repentance, thank him for that grace. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. By the way, he opposes the proud elder as well. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So this is for everyone. For everyone, clothe yourselves with humility. For the elders, be humble. For those under the care of the elders, be humble. God opposes the proud. As I mentioned before, we are already, we're, we're all a mess. And we are in this in-between of already but not yet. God has already cleansed us from our sins, but yet sin still reigns with us. And we all have our moments of fleshliness. We need to remember how we even came to Christ in the first place. Did God look at you and think, man, you've got something special to offer me? Take heed lest you fall. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned away. And the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. We were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works so that no one may boast. We have no room for boasting. If you're becoming elder of a church, you better get on your knees and seek the Lord like you've never sought him before. Now remember, humility is not beating yourself up. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not calling yourself an idiot, punching yourself in the face, all things that I've literally and physically done. Rather, humility is thinking of yourself less. Just stop thinking about yourself. <laughs> the world does not revolve around you, and I can guarantee my life goes so much better when I'm not on the throne. Because when I am, guess what? Everybody opposes me. Because nobody, you guys aren't, I, mean, I, I doubt any of you were thinking, this. How, could I, how could I please Ben this week? Now, actually, I take that back. Like, how can I, how can I worship Ben? That would be a better thing. Because some of you actually do, you've served me well. So, but you guys aren't living so that I'm glorified. We live for the glory of God alone. And when we are on the throne, everybody gets in the way. Notice, I, I love the imagery here as I was pondering this week. Peter says, clothe yourselves. Now, sometimes clothing can, 
reflect a wealth status of somebody. For instance, when you think of kings and queens and you think of clothing, what do you think of? I think of expensive clothing. I think of fancy robes. I think of crowns. And you know that they are royalty by what they wear. Sometimes, you, you know, whether it's right or wrong, we, people often look at society and see what people are wearing, see what kind of bags they're carrying, see what kind of shoes they're wearing, and we make a judgment on that person's wealthy. Look at what they're wearing. I, I think what, what I thought about here is like, Lord, I want to be dressed in humility. I want people to look at me, not to lift me up, but understand that I have anything good I have is from the grace of God. Scriptures say every good and perfect gift comes from where? From above, from the Father of lights. If you have anything good in your life, if you're rocking it in some area, all the praise goes to God, right? Ephesians talks about saved by grace alone, not by works, no one can boast. He's laid out works for us in advance that we should walk in them. And so when people see our light shining because of our good works, who is the one who laid them out? It was God. And so when God uses us then for his glory, we have nothing to say but to God be the glory alone. Nothing good have I to bring simply to the cross I cling. Brothers and sisters, nothing destroys churches quicker than pride. And pride goes directly into the face of God who gave his life for you. There is no room for pride in the church. And here's what pride does. We see, we see what pride does. First of all, we, we face God's opposition. He will destroy you. May God humble you before he humiliates you. Humble yourself. Under the mighty hand of God, it says here. When we are proud, what are we putting ourselves over? Putting ourselves over God. That's why complaining is a form of pride when we complain about how our life is and how our circumstances are. Listen, it's one thing to say, God, this stinks and I hate it. It's another thing to say, how dare you? I deserve better than this. See the difference there? Psalm, the Psalms are full of people who are not complaining, but they're just bringing these, oh, this, this is horrible. Often, for us, it turns to complaining where we are wagging our finger, God, how dare you allow this to happen to me? Humble yourself. Remember, God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, to abounding in steadfast love. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so at the proper time he may exalt you. There will be no exaltation of the proud. At the right time, he will exalt the humble. Leave it to him. Rest in your Savior. Entrust your soul to your faithful creator. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Here's what pride says. I got this. Nope, not going to let anybody else know about my struggle. I got this. I'm going to pull up my own bootstraps. Can I just say something especially to the men here? It's okay to have moments of weakness. The world tells you to be strong. The world tells you to bury it in. The world tells you don't cry. Man, our Savior wept. Jesus was strong so that we don't have to be happy. We don't have to. Listen, there's a sense where we step up in leadership. Sometimes steps, stepping up in leadership says, I'm a broken man right now. And I just want to make sure we understand that. It's okay to be broken. Because, listen, you already don't have it all together. 
Cast your anxieties to the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you. Listen, this is, this is it feels like a stern warning, but it's also, and humble yourself. God's got this. You need to hand it over to him. You need to entrust your soul to him. You need to understand that if you're doing this on your own, you're going to have a mighty fall. Apart from the rescuing work of Christ on the cross, apart from the blinders being removed and the Father granting us repentance and faith in Christ, we would be utterly lost. So if Christ has graciously forgiven you of your sins, then we are to live humbly with one another, quick to forgive each other. As you remember, 1 Peter 4, 8 calls for us to love one another earnestly. Why? Because it covers a multitude of sin. Humble yourselves. We have an incredible Savior who cares for us deeply. So elders, shepherd the flock among you. Do so willingly eagerly being examples church submit to your elders be subject to them and do so while you entrust your soul to your faithful creator listen a reminder the elders are not your savior we are 100% 100 replaceable none of us are god's gift to the church in sense in the sense that we we have all that it takes i think god gifts you with leaders who love and are humble, but we are not the Savior. Submit to your elders, ultimately submitting to the Lord, and to everyone, clothe yourselves with humility. Let me finish here with some action steps here. First of all, I encourage you to memorize 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Hide that in your heart. A book I would encourage you to get, it's really a booklet, more than a book. It's called From Pride to Humility by Stuart Scott. Listen, if, you think, if you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm pretty humble. <laughs> uh, I think Mr. Scott would smash that very quickly. It's, again, it's like this big, it's like, I don't know, 20 pages or so. Uh, super convicting. Small group leaders, I give you permission to order some of these. If you need help, order them, let me know. If you're like, Ben, I'm in a financial place where I would love to read that, but I just can't swing it right now, let me know. I'd love to order some and get you a, a, in, in your hands, and that would be a great small group curriculum to go through. So I encourage you to grab that this week. Uh, question for you to ponder. Are you submitting, those who aren't in leadership, are you submitting to the leadership faithfully that God has placed you under? And then shepherds, are you shepherding faithfully? And then for all of us, let's be reminded to live in humility. We're all in a battle, right? We're all going through struggles. Let's take the time to be humble in our approach. I'm, I'm so grateful for even the last couple of weeks, we had a couple of people come to the elders and just ex express some concerns they had. Um, and after talking it through, uh, there was no sin involved, but there were some things that we completely understood where they were coming from. And we were able to decipher those things. We were able to work through, explain things. Um, and, and they were, first of all, they were gracious and humble in their response, and they were, I felt like the elders responded in grace, graciousness and humility, and then they responded back in humility, and that's the way it works, and there was no issues, because there was nothing uh, worth allowing to become a big deal there. 
This is the way it should be. Humility doesn't mean you keep your mouth shut. Humility means you approach situations with the right heart. Remember the scripture says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Church, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, so let your light shine so that others may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Have a great week.